The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Next week, Kev, bet you can't believe it's here. Next week, X Weddings. Woohoo! <laughs> like, yeah, you almost sound like you believe that. Woohoo! Yeah, it's been a lot of hard work for you, I know. Yeah, no, but, it's good. But now's the fun. Yeah, now's the fun. Now's the fun bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. No, looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing all of your smiley faces in Bath in, uh, next week. Still a few tickets people can buy. I know some people like to do it very late, yep. right, right on the the you know the. I know. I now I'm free next week. I can do this. I was a little bit worried before, but now I really want to go and listen to these people, learn some stuff. And so we have some. We've been. Um, we've got some gifts to give away, some yep. prizes, including. Instax printers, Instax cameras. Yeah, we've got some free software to give away Ooh. from some vendors. Nice. We've got some camera straps nice. and all the other things like that. And bear in mind that we can only have sixty-five people in the room. Your chances of winning one could be quite high if yeah. you're there. If yeah. you're not there, you've got no chance. Got to be in it to win it. In it to win it. So I said about that massive lottery. What was it? Hundred and seventy million or something? Uh, did the guy turn up? Does he? They, they haven't found uh, a ticket holder. Has yet, it not they? been claimed? Oh, I don't know. They hadn't. All right, I thought you were about to tell me something else. No, <laughs> we we had already spent 168 million of that oh, at yeah. breakfast the following morning. Yeah, no. we said no, it wouldn't. We'd we'd sort of um, you'd like this because we said you know a few close friends that we'd we'd pay off their mortgages, give them a bit of money and stuff like that. You were in that list, so that oh, was all right. Yeah, cool. Um, but uh, but but straight away it was decided that if you had that much money and they realised you'd won that much, the sooner or later people will come back and want more. This is the what start of your troubles. I do not understand. Like when you well, win, I know a you'd lot be of, okay. You'd, you'd be fine about I'd it. I'd be fine. Yeah, yeah. with your five pound fifty. Once, uh, <laughs> once I'd uh, yeah, once I'd fix the holes in my socks and stuff, that'd be cool. <laughs> but I do not understand. If you win the lottery, the people that go on the telly and go, "Woohoo, we uh, won the lottery!" Yeah. They must get given something. There must be an incentive from Camelot. It can't be money. <laughs> no, no, no. But they must be given. Yeah. I reckon, like Camelot, say to them something like. If you right, you've won a hundred million pounds. Yeah. You can either have it all now, but you have to come on the telly and go woohoo, yeah. or we'll give you a million pound a week for the next hundred weeks or something. Uh-huh. I reckon there must because why? Who on their who in their right mind would do it? Yeah, you wouldn't want to, would you? No, not at all. I'd want to keep really quiet. Yeah, about it. I mean, when I won the lottery, I didn't tell any. Oh, sh- <laughs> the Fuji cast. I'd like to believe that was true. Yeah, so would I. Um, so, welcome to the show. It's um, episode 30, uh, 40 divided by 8, plus 9, 38. Is it 38? 38. So, it won't be that long before we have our... It's it's not silver, is it? What's 50th? It's a ruby, ruby anniversary. You, you, can't have a, uh, you can't have a ruby anniversary in a one-year cycle, because two years, two weeks later, it's the, the one-year anniversary. That's true. <laughs> okay. We have to do something very good for Re- 52, rethink though. That, yeah. For 52, we do have to do something, yeah. That'll be some time in January, I would have thought. It's yes. January, February. That's when we started. Yeah, yeah. So um, we, we'll do something. Mm. Maybe we should do another live show in front of people or something. Maybe mm. not. Maybe Gemma. Maybe Gemma and Sam should actually present the show. Yeah, that would be very and cool. And we'll go out and get bladdered. Yes. <laughs> they can join us later on. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us for episode 38. Um, as always, thank you to our friends at Simpler Straps for letting us give away a couple of ca- uh, Simpler camera straps to our favourite email questions of the week. If you'd like to go and see uh, these straps in action, then it's simplr.us. Simplr.us. They are perfectly proportioned for this ear Fuji stuff. Um, also, the guest on today's show is Paul Rogers, um, uh, and it'll be about his time with the Times. He's a, he's a terrific wedding photographer, but. Um, uh, I was interested in the photo journey that, um, in particular, he thought was going to end with him in an orange jumpsuit, appealing to his family for the very last time. So um, uh, that that's one of the stories today with uh, with Paul and um, your questions, of course. So, uh, as always, do you want to go first? I'll go first. Go on, then. Why not? This is from Randy Tarr and uh, Randy Tarr from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, what's PA? Philadelphia? Mm. No, no. Pennsylvania. There we go. Yes. New one of us. Thank you, Well done. Randy says, um, I've recently found a previously unknown passion for viewing art and photography books. Can you recommend five of your favourite and most influential Ooh. to you personally? Mm. Now, that's a... Um, I have to admit that I had this question teed up last week, but needed to think about it a little bit more. So okay. I've brought it into this week. And, uh, and Randy, I'm going to send you a strap because I love photo books. Oh, that's a strap right at the start of the show. Yeah, I love, I love um, Pennsylvania. I've got family from there. I love... Seven hour, 55 minutes from here. We wanted to fly now. Yeah. 
all to the gin. We could bring the strap with us. And I could bring you <laughs> five photo books. Um, all right. So, uh, well, you, have you got five? I've got two, in, but I know you you got all five, and I thought, well, if we do ten, it'll be forever. So, yeah, I just brought two in particular that I really like. Right, you go first. You heard of Bert Her- Bert Bert Hardy? Bert Hardy. Bert Hardy. Yeah. Bert Hardy. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's a Bert Hardy at the back there. I was uh, gifted that by Giles. That's a Bert Hardy print. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Um, he he's um he's from that picture postdoc. Uh, started out as a lab assistant, ended up taking some of the most important pictures of of London during the Second World War and the Blitz. Though he did travel as well, he got closer to the action, as it were. Though though some might say there's plenty of that in the photographs of the the devastation back home during that period. There's a real roll-out-the-barrel look, Kev, to his pictures. You can almost smell the, the real London tavern life. And and equally, he's, uh, he's one of the, the early masters of shaping light, I think. And it, it probably comes from the fact that he was uh, out night after night photographing the firefighters at work whilst London burned. And and uh, a couple of years ago, his vintage collection was selling at seven to £800 per book or something. Obviously not this one. That's a well-loved book, isn't it? Well-thumbed. Well, you know why I like this book? Because it, it was that wasn't mine to start with. Somebody else has owned this, then it became somebody else's. And, and it's been passed down through photographers. And actually, it was, <laughs> it was once a library book. Look. Uh, it's a stolen library book. Yeah, but <gasps> Phil, pa- Phil Payne probably got that. <gasps> but um, but the, the, <laughs> the funniest thing about it, it was valued at 40p. Yeah. This is worth so much more than 40p. Anyway... Yeah. But Hardy, and um, the other one is um, Eyewitness, which we've talked about before from Sto- Tom Stoddart. And and I know I've got a lot of books up there by the greats like McCullin, and and uh, there's Genesis up there as well. And but but um, I think because of the the uh, personal experience of actually sitting down with Tom and mm. going through that book and mm. him personally spending time with me and telling me about each of the pictures has made that one of the book one of my real go to books. Yeah. Eyewitness by Tom Stoddart. Right. I love that book. I'm going to go. I've got five here. You've got all five. That, that aren't. I wouldn't necessarily say were the ones that have the most impact in me. Some of them are, but um, I, I could go on forever because I yeah. must have about 300 books. You're a so real book collector. I, I, I've gone yeah. with. Uh, I've gone with a little bit of a, a wide variety. So my first one is called Once Upon a Time in Wales by Robert Haynes. Oh, right. Amazing book. Uh, And I'm not going to explain too much about why, but just just get it, look it up. You can read the story about how those pictures became, but it's essentially... Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time in Wales. It's essentially pictures of old blokes in pubs in the 1960s and 70s in Wales. You Um, in it? (laughs) <laughs> I'm not in it. No, my dad might be in it. Yeah. Oh, look at these. These are fantastic. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so to summarise, he he found he was he wasn't a professional photographer, and but he used to take pictures, and he found this old box of undeveloped film under his bed, and he went and developed it. And one of them was this project he'd done about all of the pubs in his local village in um, I think it was like Aberavon or somewhere like that. And they, you know these places don't exist anymore. These old yeah. village pubs and stuff. They you know in the, or certainly the characters don't. So he went around to try and find the people that were in it. And <laughs> Look at uh, this chat. A lot of them were dead, unfortunately. But yeah. yeah so Once Upon a Time in Wales by Robert Haynes. I uh, loved that book. Absolutely loved that book. Can see why you're drawn to that. <laughs> Look at this guy, by the way. That, that character, uh, yeah. gurning there. Yeah, <laughs> fabulous. Second one is Family Love by Darcy Padilla. We oh, talked yeah, about yeah. that. I wondered whether you uh, choose that one. Yeah. Load of times, Darcy Padilla. Yes, yes, uh, yes, Family yes, Love yes, needs yes, nothing more than a Google research to figure that yeah. out. Watch the little film on YouTube. Um, have your hankies with you for that one. I like uh, James Ravidius' book called The Recent Past as well. James Ravidius. Now, James, obviously, we had Robin as a guest on... Uh, Robin is James's wife, or yes. widow, I should and say. And you interviewed her. I interviewed yeah. her, and she was a guest on the on the uh, Futurecast in, in fact, uh, episode three or four, Yeah, I, I remember you stealing a cake or whatever. <laughs> yeah. She went out the room, and you just wrestled with a cake yeah. for about 30 seconds. Yeah. She left it in a wrapper that you couldn't unwrap. Well, that's because in those days, I just recorded everything. Uh, like, just everything was recorded. And, yeah, it was a, it was a challenge, that cake. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Um, and then she didn't eat any. She left no. you to eat it that's funny she was the most pleasant lady I've ever met sounded a um, wonderful interviewee she was amazing and mm. and obviously her husband James Rillius and the recent past so James was a photographer a London photographer a base photographer who headed to Devon and just photographed the uh, the local life yeah, essentially yeah. and and actually so far those three books all have very similar feeling to them well they do I, I can see James and Robert as yeah. having yeah, you know, the same. There's a common strand there. There is absolutely, and then I picked my, for my fourth one. I put, picked Bruce Davidson's East 100th Street, which is a, slightly more gritty now. Yeah, big book. I got a signed first edition of that. Really? Yeah, it's worth wow. a load of money now. 
<laughs> Keep that in the safe. Yeah. Um, but I know I like the pictures. I like the book, obviously. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, you know, because what happens is you look at things like Once Upon a Time in Wales or you look at the recent past and you see, yeah. I mean, they're all, these are all people on the on the poverty line. But then you go to these pictures, Bruce Davidson stuff, and it's, you know, you can see a, a very, very substantial difference. And then uh, my final one that I selected was Diane Arbus, Revelations. Um, I wondered if you were going to go left field, but you haven't really. Oh, no, but I, I kind of, I've just got so many to pick from. And um, the Revelations, I, I picked that one, I think, probably because it was one of the last ones I've picked up mm. I bought. Um, and it's a real tome of a book. You know, there's yeah. there's a lot of pictures, but there's also a lot of discussion in there. Uh, really, really good. And, of course, Diane Arbus, uh, you know, a legend in her own lifetime. Um, a lot of people were inspired by her. And, and, and all of these people, when you look at all of these 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 um, photo books they're all shot on film so you know you you look at some of these pictures and you just think my god there's no way no way I could do it I just you know do not have the capacity skill ability well, you patience have, you would have developed it I think boom boom pardon the expression but you would, you would have possibly I don't know but possibly but but you know might be working in a different way clearly but yeah but they, they stand the test of time and, and you know you, you think about the digital world we live in and the 10,000 frames per second cameras and the you know the first person to get something on Instagram with a million likes and, and you know and filters and stuff like that and then you look at these things and you think wow proper yeah, talent yeah. how important are our are, are, are books oh hugely I mean, do you use it as if you're feeling particularly like you need an injection, an energetic injection of creativity, do do you use the books for that purpose? No, no I don't. And because I can never emulate, I can never like use those for inspiration because mm. they're just out of reach my, for me, that kind of... You know, sometimes I look at that once upon a time in a Wales. Doesn't it? You don't have to be able to do it to be inspired by something. I mean, no, but it doesn't. You, if you it's want, a bit like somebody who looks at Pele playing football and thinks, "Well, I'll never be that." But I'm perhaps, entirely, yeah, you know, perhaps you're right. But I, you know, sometimes I look at that once upon a time in Wales and think, "I want to go." And you know, this is typical me, really. I suppose we, the pub opposite me, the Three Cups, real mm. old Duffers pub, been there for hundreds of years. <laughs> Uh, and, and I've been um, I can get my Wi-Fi in there it's great I won't, <laughs> you can't get Wi-Fi I can. You can. I can I can get my own Wi-Fi it's you, that close to my that house it's that close to your house so how much money do you spend in there uh, well none now because it's closed it closed about two weeks ago no why well because Craig who ran it was that was it it was just run out of money basically oh no and, and I kept saying to myself that pub's no longer that's the one I park opposite yeah oh no, uh, that's I, terrible I, I keep saying to myself Could I kept you? saying to myself I need to go and do a Once Upon a Time in Wales in there because there's some yeah. really good old characters why don't you what, well no it, it's too late yeah well you could you could start a pub business think of that money <laughs> there we go Kev, what would you call it? The old dog. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'd never. So I would, it not, would be the worst thing in the world for me running a pub. It's not reopened. No, oh, it's, it's on the market now. That is a shame. It's owned by one of these an- anonymous yeah. uh, pub landlord things. Oh, but, well. but it's about four hundred years old. So it, the thing about that pub is, it's got a covenant on it that means it has to be a hostelry. It can't hostelry. Hostelry. Pub. Pub. <laughs> so it'll either be left open, yeah. left empty, or or somebody will come and open it again. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your. Yeah, that was that cool. Was thank really you. Um, you sent a strap for that one, haven't you? I did to Randy yeah, Tar. To Randy. Well done, Randy, Randy Tar. Excellent. Excellent. More questions about books, please. Yes, Jason. Send us yours. Jason, who just discovered your show not so long ago, started listening to it. Got to say, I love your podcast and the way you guys presented the information. Uh, your show is the only photo-related podcast I listen to now. Thank you, Jason. My question for you guys, so many people using film simulation presets nowadays in an attempt to recapture the magic of an analogue medium, what is your opinion on various film simulation presets? Do you use them? Do you have a favourite? By the way, I figure it's worth an ask. Are you guys still giving away camera straps? Can I have one? No, no you see, the trouble is, Jason... Um, you, you went in too soon after another strap, you see? Otherwise, yes, you would have been on that pile there, Jason, which is the definitely getting a... So you're going to have to try again with another question. But I like that question, though. Do you use film simulation? Well, you do, I know you do. Yeah. You use Acros. Do you look at Acros, but you... I, I have to say, the Acros film simulation is beautiful. Yes. And now the new um, classic neg that they're calling it in the X-Pro3 yep. 
is phenomenal. I absolutely adore that film why, simulation. Why, why, is, why is different? It's uh, they told me it was meant to emulate like the superior film um, simulation uh, film stock. So now which, you're looking in color. It's color, yeah. yeah. And and I was oh, like, you always looked at stuff in black and white. In the no, past. no, no. I know, but if you're looking for film simulation in the camera, oh, then right. then that's that that it's very filmic. It's very beautiful. Um, do you mean it's more muted in its? Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of got it's kind of got kind of muted greens and yeah. blues and stuff. It's it's really really lovely absolutely really lovely yeah. um for a film simulation a, ca- a color film simulation i'm going to try and dig one out and show neil on the which means nothing to everybody that's listening of course don't take a picture um no i won't take a picture but i'll i'll find um i'm looking for one with the color and that's things most oh, okay here we go so the so that's the film simulation is wow classic, that is good the colors they don't look note. muted actually they, they look um i mean the color on this this chap's shirt they look quite vibrant yeah the greens and the blues are kind of adjusted but the, but the sea's kind of i don't know that's the result of it being an overcast day but mm. the sea seems to have melted and mm. away it's really nice i do so mm, i mean it's nice actually the, good skin tone yeah it's it's beautiful really yeah. beautiful there's a reason for having an x pro 3 in itself is it uh yeah although i would be very surprised if that film simulation didn't come to didn't come to the other cameras um do you think uh, there'll be an update that will yeah yeah i would think so i don't know so don't hold me to it but i would have thought they would bring that film simulation that I'll would be a lovely know. film simulation for filming in making moving, moving yeah films. that would be wouldn't it yeah it's really beautiful yeah. um so across uh yes i love it i mean i you know what it's there's no there's no um you should shoot jpeg you should shoot raw arguments mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're just not arguments worth having um, but my personal preference for film sims are Acros and now the classic Neg. I, mean, I do adore that. I do really love it. Well, J- Jason, who uh, comes from Boston, which is one of those places that we said um, we were thinking about. We did. The, I don't. I don't know what the score, the tally was on Massachusetts. The was it, uh, yeah, that's Massachusetts. But what was what was the tally on um, where people suggested we went to do the the um don't know i didn't the show in america next next year isn't that what the um uh what steve and um peter should be doing keeping tallies on that kind of thing yeah it should be steve peter look at those um but uh it might be the only places we're welcome next year if europe doesn't want us any anymore we've got you know we've we've only got our friends uh friends friends in america haven't we Uh, hey don't even talk popping and see that trump bloke don't be rude try not to be right is it mine or yours Oh, your mine, question, your question. mine. I think you just did the um... last question before the interview. Okay, so um, this is a question from Jake Hilda. Hi, Kevin and Neil. I'm always tinkering with wedding photography prices and packages, and also mm-hmm. what I physically hand over to the couple. All my recent wedding couples have chosen packages where they just get the files on a nice little USB inside a nice little printed wooden box inside a nice little bag. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that nice? <laughs> That's like one of those Russian yeah. dolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Within a within a within a. To me, it's all felt a little bit naff. Just <laughs> handing this over even though this is why what they are paid for. So mm. I've been thinking about char- changing my products and upping the price to make the presentation a bit more special. Yeah, you want to be sending, taking them out for a meal like that guy we were talking mm. about last week. My question is, do you think the couples are bothered about how you yeah. uh, give them or present them photographs? How do you both present your images and hand over the photographs? P.S. Great podcast, by the way. Keep up the good work. I've just booked on the Edward X Weddings Conference. Oh, good for you. Mm, well done, Jake. Looking forward to seeing you. P.P.S. I can't believe you gave Glasgow Lee a strap. <laughs> Yeah, mm. yeah. Did we? We must have done. People remember things like that. I've seen him in hell recently. He didn't have a strap on. Didn't he? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a lot of trouble. That we shouldn't. We we promised never to do. It's like innuendo bingo on Radio One. <laughs> so no, no more, no more of that. Okay. I tell you what, as well, you'll have Gemma will be very angry with you for that kind of thing. All right, so the question, going back to the question, and genuinely, that was a faux pas. That was not a planned sentence. I'll edit, I'll edit it out. Uh, Don't uh, edit it, Tom. Leave it in. <laughs> so the answer, the question is, do you, what do you give them? And do you think it's a bit naff? Well, I don't think it's naff. I mean, I think what you decide to do is, because that's marketing, essentially, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's post-wedding marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do still uh, provide a USB, because mm-hmm. I... I just think having something tangible, something that's mm-hmm. you pick up rather than download, for me, just feels appropriate for when somebody spends a certain amount of cash. Not mm-hmm. everybody feels that way. Um, some people give away boxes, and the boxes having them, all the lovely shredded paper, and the, the USB is within the shredded paper, and sometimes those boxes have some 
some prints which the photographer may sign because as Joe Busick used to say the moment you sign a photo it becomes art um, and and that's kind of a, that's a touchy feely way about it I know you don't you don't subscribe to that it's not that I don't subscribe to it. I totally agree with you um, but I, I, I do digital downloads yeah. my stuff my tech doesn't have USB drives any longer does you mm. the new are you, my no, Apple you have devices to put, it, put it through a dongle if you want to put it into yeah. your it's you digital want, download yeah. for me, um, but yeah, I totally agree with that. It's with the, the, this idea of having something tacti- tactical, tactile to give to them, post tactile, to them. Yeah. Um, the prints do it for me, so I'll send them a little print box uh, in that respect. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it, it it does come down to marketing. You said that it's it's down yeah. to marketing, and it's it's if you're gonna add something, you know, if, for example, if you suddenly start adding. I don't know, let's just say a little mini nine-inch album to your package and saying that's included, you will get the questions, how much is it without that album? Uh, And then you have to jump through those hoops and deal with that and decide whether you want to actually deal with it or not. So personally, I think it's it's good to have a package where they don't physically get anything other than the artwork. Um, And then everything, because that that takes away all the questions from everything else. That gives you the latitude to have products on other packages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, thank you for for your question on that particular one. Oh, by the way, while I remember it, just before we go into the interview, uh, filters. We were talking about filters uh, just a moment ago, putting filters across pictures and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I heard something, I don't know how true this is, so somebody can uh, correct me. I'm sure somebody like um, Alan Gump uh, will will correct us on this. Um, but uh, if you put a filter over an, uh, over an Instagram picture, it doesn't even matter if you lower the opacity to about 5%. Apparently, Instagram like that and sort of ever elevate you up the, um, uh, up the rankings a bit more? Or does that sound absolute hogwash? Uh, that's total... Is it? Yeah. So shall I put I that think. in the... Uh, that's, a low, that, that's something your granny would have told you. Why would they do that? My granny used to say that if you rub avocado in your neck... It will cure all sorts of ills. <laughs> My granny used to never sleep without a pillow, with a pillow, because she thought that was what gave you double chin. <laughs> there we go. So should we put that into Granny told you that one? Yeah. yeah. Where did you hear that then? Oh, I heard that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Can't remember I who can't told me that. that. I can't believe that. I can't. I don't have any physical proof, but I cannot believe that. My pictures get enough traction. I don't put any filters on them. No. Uh, nah. Okay. All right. Well, that goes on the. Uh, that's the granny told me that file. It's though. not like it's they're advertising anything, or you know, they're no, not getting any know. benefit from it. Right. I'm sorry, I mentioned it. Right. Interview time. Um, this week, <laughs> <laughs> Paul Rogers on his time with the Times. Time with the Times. Um, and um, I, I, I want to start with a particular story, which for any any photographer that finds themselves in uh, a, a trickier zones, conflict zones, zones where you know you're you're reporting on pretty hard news stories. Um, I think the uh, this particular story would have frightened the very bejingles out of me. Paul Rogers is this week's guest. This was 2003 when I was working for the Times, and we travelled over to northern Iraq and um, to photograph the Americans who are hopefully coming into northern Iraq to help with the invasion. Um, In the end that didn't happen and we spent a lot of time with the Kurdish Peshmerga up there Um, and one of the groups in northern Iraq and um, that part of Turkey is the the Kurdish PKK group which as you may know um, is listed by the Americans as a, as a terrorist organisation. Obviously, it depends who you ask as to what the definition of that group is. But we wanted to spend some time with these guys and um, find out where they sat in the in relation to the Americans and, and the Kurds and the um, and the rest of, of what was going on in northern Iraq. Um, we spent quite a bit of time finding the right people to speak to to get in touch with with the PKK. Eventually, we were invited to meet um, at a place, a secret place at dawn, where we were transferred into a couple of four by four vehicles. Um, we had a fixer with us and a, an interpreter. Um, and apart from that, it was all PKK personnel. Now, they then took us in their own four by fours through some valleys and um, up some hillsides. And we were probably driving for two or three hours into the mountains. Um, we stopped at, at one point and they unloaded all of our gear from the, from the car, sat in, in a hut um, and they, they were quite friendly with us until one of the, uh, one of the PKK members 
turn up in in the room with a with a video camera and they sat us all down on the floor in front of all our gear and um started filming so they didn't really tell us what was going on and they were asking us our name what we were doing there um what our background was a little bit about our family and it was frankly quite terrifying because at this point um this was back in 2003 so there had been a lot of footage on the news of um journalists and and other people being kidnapped in and around Iraq and held to ransom or or worse so all i could think at this point was the next thing my wife or my family are going to see is my image on tv from from this this uh, this pkk person filming us in this hut it was it was frankly terrifying in the end it wasn't quite as as uh, as as bad as it as it seemed all they were doing was they were filming us for their own pr um, machine and um, they wanted to know who who they were inviting into their camp but for the for that first few minutes of, um, of filming it was a terrifying moment I spoke to a, a conflict photographer recently uh, who was talking about the the job of the fixer and you mentioned the fixer and, and he said you know choosing the right fixer is the difference between not just getting the right story but actually getting through the conflict because some of the fixers uh, were, were known to sell to the highest bidder and that could be the journalist him or herself yeah absolutely and um i was lucky enough to be with a very experienced war reporter anthony lloyd at the time and we spent a lot of time looking for the right fixer and in the end um, i think on that particular trip we went through two possibly three fixers um but the final fixer we had a guy called awat was a a journalist on on one of the local newspapers in in sulemanye so he already knew what we wanted to to do he he knew how how journalists operated um he knew all the right people and he was very much on board with with the stories that we were telling like a few of the fujicast interviews of late longer versions will be available very soon if not now if you're binging this at a later date so paul rogers full length interview will be on the breathe pictures podcast now there's little doubt that Paul is in the news gathering business a respected and known figure. His transition through news to social photography now is a long and winding path. But I wanted to take him back to those formative years and how it all started. I've always always loved photography and when I was at school when I was um 12 or 13 I remember a friend of mine who was very into photography taught me what f-stops were and shutter speed and depth of field and I found it fascinating. So when I left um that school I I started A level college and um a friend of mine was also interested in photography and we built a black and white dark room in in my mother's downstairs toilet and experimented with uh, the old Tri-X and and T-Max film you know we used to get the bulk loaders from Jessops and buy 30 meters of film and 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 go through it in a in a couple of couple of days and i remember i, I hadn't um, fully light proofed the the bathroom in fact it, it was a bathroom by day and then i would fit all the uh, my homemade light proof blinds to the to the window but it was never particularly light proof so in the summer i used to have to wait till about two o'clock in the morning when the light was so low that um there was there was no light leaks around the the window so from there um you had your interest you had your initial interest uh, you were doing what a lot of photographers these days would 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 never experience but where where did you go was it college or university and so from that point um i I was doing physics and maths and economics A-levels and I really enjoyed physics and so that's what I, I, I didn't really have a vocation in mind. So I decided to, to carry on with physics. I, I, I got onto a physics course in Cardiff and at Freshers Week, I remember going around Freshers Fair and looking at all the societies and the student newspaper there had free pizza. So that was a draw. I went and had a couple of slices of pizza and got chatting to some of the, the editors and, and photographers there and turned up a week later to, to see, see what it was all about. I was still interested in photography, but at this point there was, there was no openings in the, in the photography part of the newspaper. So I started in the screening room, um, which is essentially when, when the newspapers were, were made uh, and we had very rudimentary um, desktop publishing packages at that point, but they would um, output the, the, uh, the pages onto uh, a piece of bromide paper and there would be a space for the photographs. So I spent a year doing that in the darkroom, screening other people's photographs before I started taking actual photographs for the newspaper. And that's where my love of, of photojournalism began. At that point, I, I didn't really know um, that you could 
make a living from from photography um it was still very much a hobby for me and i was enjoying it so much that i ended up spending oh about 40 hours a week on on the student newspaper it's called guy reith uh, free word in welsh and um we won several student newspaper awards and some photography awards and it was it was a real buzz it was a it was a, a very tight-knit group of um of people at, at the university that that were very dedicated to to telling these stories every week and we had a great circulation and at some point i realized that um there was a photojournalism course that had just begun in cardiff um it was run by a a very famous photography teacher called daniel meadows and he had come from Newport College that had a, a, a well-established um, documentary photography course there under David Hearn. Um, and when David finished that course, Daniel Meadows brought it to Cardiff. So in the space of a year or so of, of carrying on working at Guy Reith, I, I realised that this quite unique photojournalism course had opened in Cardiff. And that was really where I saw my next step. I know I get this the rom- romantic notion of uh, of working in in Fleet Street and in those newspapers as as these sort of smoky atmospheres with uh, terribly uh, dramatic scenes um, uh, e- each evening as as deadline approached. Was it like that? Uh, yeah, the smoky scenes certainly were like that, um, and the uh, this was. And much of the business done in the pub. Yeah, a fair amount in the pub. I think when I joined, so I joined the Times in 1998, and it was the tail end of those that, that kind of era, I think. The, the Times, um, published by News International, was still in Wapping, um, where it, it had moved um, probably 20, 30 years before. And and it was, it was a big operation, um, a, a big victorian building with printing works and um the dark room was in a in a cellar of one of the uh, one of the older buildings and the times <clears throat> actually occupied a, 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 a i would say a relatively modern building just across the road from from the main whopping plant um yeah the, the dark room was definitely one of these smoky areas where um people would be pouring over contact sheets with a loop and marking marking uh contact sheets with a with a pen and it, it was exciting times the just the urgency um back then because we were still shooting on film to start with so we would shoot a, a news job in london um race back to the to the office either that or have the films couriered back to the to the office so during this period it was just prior to digital so digital was just about to take over what was the feeling like as the as the as the science of photography began to change well we um we we were uh, offered digital cameras um right at the start of 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 that whole technological breakthrough and i remember taking my first digital camera um the first the first major job i i, I took it on was was kosovo uh, and it they, they were they were kind of bulky machines um there was no screen on the back of them and massive massive expensive cards where that you could uh, only shoot jpegs to and it was it was cutting edge it was really exciting times to be able to um, take the card out and put it into a an old laptop and see the image come up on the screen it, it changed everything someone approaching you now to find work in an editorial sense in in, in picture making would, would get very different advice to what they would have received from you two decades ago wouldn't they yeah two two decades ago um it was all about um just enthusiasm and um you know knocking doors and continuing to to try and get your foot in the door and then proving yourself these days i, I think the competition is so fierce that you've I really wouldn't know where to start in, in, in trying to break into newspaper photography at the moment. I suspect that there's so much competition that unless you've got something stand out, something that stands out from the crowd, then it's going to be very hard to get your images seen, let alone published and, and someone paying for them. Paul's work during those heady Fleet Street days reveals a portfolio that's brimming with inventiveness. And it's his creativity and inquisition that really draws me to his news work in particular. Attention to detail that you'll hear more about in their longer Breathe Pictures podcast version. But fast forwarding through his career slightly, there was to be a, an unexpected change of direction. You avoided them for 16 years. You, like many of your uh, colleagues, probably uh, looked down slightly at the genre. But at some stage, um, 
you too got bitten by the wedding bug. Uh, and there was kind of a transition period, wasn't there, between you leaving being an editorial photographer and the weddings? Or, or was it the end of editorial that, that meant that you had to shoot weddings? Yeah, a little bit of both there. Um, so I, when I was at The Times, I, um, I started on regular shifts shooting for for the for the newspaper five five days a week um and within a year or so they they'd offered me a contract um and it was it was in their best interests to have contract photographers so i was never on staff at the times i was a um a regular freelance photographer that was then offered uh, this contract and it was a rolling 12-month contract whereby i agreed to work for them for um five days a week for the 48 weeks a year I think and that carried on for 16 years um now at the end of the 16 years uh well for several years before that I was suspecting that contracts were going to come to an end at some point because of you know the proliferation of, of digital cameras and the um the, just the, the sheer expense of, of maintaining a photographic staff at a newspaper um so I needed to find another avenue for for my photography and at that point i really didn't want to move into anything other than than the documentary and the news style of photography that i'd been working at for that for the last 20 years i wasn't interested in advertising or um, any other kind of editorialized photography um you're right in that when you said i'd avoided weddings for such a long time because there was not a a big market for documentary style photography at that time in weddings and it's only when i started researching that that area that i realized that it was a growing market and there was a couple of of big name photographers at the time shooting in that style um and a couple of friends of mine had made the move from newspapers into weddings and i spoke to them about that and that's really what what sparked my interest in in documentary wedding photography you have children now still reasonably young and i read how being a news and working in difficult environments for somebody like don mccullin made such a, a stark difference to, to family life. Is it something you could do now? I, I don't think so. I, I think when when I first got married, um, that's when I started to, to think about what I did for a living and whether or not I wanted to continue flying into some of these dangerous situations. Um, now, when we had children, that's when I, that's when I stopped um, accepting the commissions to, to, to war zones. Um, you know, as you get older, you get... You, 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 classically become a more nervous flyer and I, and I found that throughout my 30s and 40s and it's not the flying I'd be worried about well I, that, that's just a manifestation oh. of, of how, how I felt about um, my own personal safety you know in my 20s I, I've, I couldn't care less really I was uh, up for anything and um, when I got married and, and you start to reevaluate where you are in life um, you realize that there's someone else that you have a responsibility to uh, obviously that that gets that goes through the roof when you have kids I've got a lot of respect for, for people who, who continue to, to work in those conditions um, at great personal sacrifice. I'm, I, you know, not just for themselves, but for their families as well. Um, but it's not something that, that, I, that I chose to do. I, I've, that's the point that I decided that I needed to find another way of continuing to work in the way that I work, but in a safer way. You have an incredible patience. And I think if anybody looks through your, your work... Um, and I mean patience, even in the more energetic photographs, your news pictures, your, your wedding pictures, there's often very energetic scenes, but you have a lot of patience. A lot of photographers run around. I always think of uh, <laughs> photographers that I see running around as almost like Jack Russell's are chasing a ball. And I can't imagine you ever being that kind of photographer. And it seems to me in a world where you can rattle off 10 frames a second, I mean, heavens, more than that, maybe three times as much as that now, and, and not give a damn about how much it, it may cost in film, that the patience to wait for a shot has, has, has kind of been rather damaging, so almost a disregard for, for composition. Would, would you say that that's one of the strengths of your photography is, is your patience? Yeah, I, I'd 100% agree with that. And uh, I've definitely been that Jack Russell, uh, photographically speaking. Um, I, I remember my first picture editor at News Team, um, a photographer called Ashley Coombs, who now works up in Scotland, a uh, great wedding photographer up in Scotland. And I remember him saying to me when I returned from um, a particular news job or a features job he said uh, Paul I always know when you screwed up your job because you come back with six rolls of film and he says when you come back with one or two rolls of film I know you've nailed it and he's 
absolutely right when when you when you don't have the any intention when you're reacting and photographing um blindly essentially you you shoot far more than when you're um a lot more dedicated to to what you need to tell so that that was that was early on in my career uh probably 96 1996 97 um and i slowly hopefully progressed into the kind of photographer that does now wait patiently for pictures um yeah i do shoot a lot of pictures and um at a wedding it's it's not unusual for me to shoot many thousands of frames but i don't machine gun through the wedding what the way i work is to patiently wait for moments to to peak and to shoot through that moment so i may end up shooting 10 or 12 frames of a moment which i wouldn't have been able to do on film um, knowing that I can then pick and choose that in the in the call later. Thank you to Paul, and thank you, by the way, to you for some of the people you've been suggesting for interviews as well. It's um, it's really great, and, and I've been contacting people, and we're setting them up. So uh, thank you for for your suggestions. Very much appreciated. Um, uh, very much not appreciated though is uh, we've had um, afraid we've had a complaint. Kev? Uh, another one. Yeah, <laughs> it's one from Alan Gump. He's been fact-checking, um, and he got a, some t- two mentions in a row, Alan. Many thanks for your ongoing Fujicast. Kevin, in, in particular, thank you for sticking with your family holiday in Spain. So he starts off, he's got classic sort of corporate start-off good, mm. it's, but it's going to descend. I uh, continue to enjoy the repartee and sage advice from both of you. I sage, but mm. despite the, the occasional claims that clatter loudly, I'm afraid, on the floor. Uh, specifically, Kevin's mention of Picasso instead of Van Gogh, oh. who cut off his own ear. Of course. So you're wrong. Of course. Yeah. And Neil's posting of the absolute worst audio recording in existence of the Western Screech Owl. Do you remember when we did yeah. Wedding Guest or Bird? Yeah, that was great. That was one of the best times of my life, that I was. T- I took special umbrage <laughs> at the latter, as on rare occasions, uh, always deep into the night, my wife and I hear the love... I don't want to go uh, further. That's it. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> this is a family show. My wife and I hear the lovely, soft, rising double trill of this small and reclusive owl. You've given 27,000-plus subscribers the wrong impression of this special creature, and you owe it to serious and heartfelt apology to that bird. I suggest a sleepless night in the woods on your knees at the base of the largest fir tree you can find. And that's all I have to say about that. Thank you, Gump. 27,000 subscribers. <coughs> he's getting his figures. I'll tell you what, he can't count. <laughs> and well, thank you, by the way, for the um, recommendation, uh, Mr. Gump, of uh, Daniel Milner, who, uh, who's a super, super photographer, Santa Fe-based Leica Hasselblad and Fuji film photographer, who is currently the creative evangelist, and he has been for quite some while, actually, for Blurb magazines. Ah, yes, 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 yes. I remember he's one of those, that website, yeah. yeah. He's one of those totally yeah. sort of super, super good-looking... Does everything. ...hate him kind of bloke, because mm. he's just so good at everything. Yes, you know? I know. A sort that makes you just... He knew. Right. Very good suggestion, though. Thank you, Alan. I have a quick question from mm. Nicholas Vengalia. Yeah. Venagalia. Venagalia? Venagalia. How do you spell it? V-E-N-A-G-L-I-A. Vengalia. Vengalia. Hey, gents, loving the podcast. I was wondering if either of you have tried the Fuji XF10. I don't see a lot of love for the camera. Um... (laughs) <laughs> is that it that's it have you tried the x i have tried the xf10 what do you and, think yeah it's okay is it's, that the one that laura had with her mm, not sure M- might have been yeah uh the, the brighton it's thing. teeny and it's 24 megapixel sensor it's yeah. i mean it packs a punch doesn't it that? Uh, yeah i mean it's not it's i don't know i think it costs about 400 pounds so it's proper right. entry level cheaper than a mobile phone isn't it really can you imagine that though years ago 24 megapixel camera entry level 400 pounds yeah do you do you remember how many megawatts it's were, were was in your original first camera? first one i had was one megapixel camera and it came free with a computer. And it was a Fujifilm fine pick, oh, something or other. Okay. What, what about your this first di- 19... di- digital DSLR? Your DSLR? First My digital first SLR. digital DSLR was a Canon EOS 3... I want to say 300D. Yeah? I have no idea. 300D? I would and what probably would be, 12 be, megapixels. Be the megawatts it's... I would say about 12. 300D? Are you sure? 300D? Well, they, they don't call it... In, in America, they call it different, don't they? They call it like... Rebel without a cause or something. <laughs> oh, there you go. Six point three megapixels. Six point three, yeah. Yeah, August. No, that can't be right. Two thousand and three. Uh, oh yeah, no, that is that right. Is right. Yeah, that's of course that is right. Yeah, yeah. I was, sorry, I was thinking two thousand thirteen. Yeah, that's it. 
So now my first was a Nikon D100, and um, I'm sure that was less than that. Six megapixels. Six megapixels. Yeah. Yeah. So you win, and I think you win by 0.3 megapixels. Well, yeah, uh, but, but you could rarely use it very well in low light. Mm. I mean, um, I think it, the 1600 ISO was the was the what was the oh that was the range, 200 to 1600, 6400 special mode. But I don't think I ever went anywhere near special. Mm. So uh, yeah, yeah. So well, yeah, no, quite right. XF10, so it's 24 megapixel sensor. Pretty pretty lightweight. No, it's not a replacement for the X X seventy or anything like that. So I I I, I've always that's funny. I'm waffling on about this little camera. I've always I I keep thinking about getting one because I think it's perfect pub camera, as I call it. Is it? Hmm. Well, not for your pub anymore, unfortunately. But (laughs) not my pub. Why would that be a perfect pub camera? Well, because it's not the end of the world if you lose it. It's not. Do you um, often lose cameras in pubs? Well, no, but I I have potential. I've lost other things in pubs. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right. I went past um, the other day. I, I went back to Hertfordshire to, um, to 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 go interview somebody, and um, on the um, on the way back, I went past the uh, I went down Port Hill, um, which those that know Hertford and Benja, it's a, that's the the very steep hill right at the bottom. There used to be the Bell and Crown, hmm. which was the first pub I ever went in, hmm. and I thought, oh, I'll be, I just uh, what I was going to do is park up and go and have a little shandy because I was driving in the Bell and Crown, but they made it into flats. Oh. How annoying. I know. End of the bell and crown. I mean, that was the, you know, you always remember with with uh, with great affection, don't you, that first pub where you nipped in there. Maybe you should not have been drinking. Um, and uh, somehow you, you, you escaped the, the under-18 rule with a pint. Mm. Your first pint. Malmesbury. I mean, Malmesbury, you know Malmesbury. It's a tiny little place. I can say that about bell and crown now because it's no longer there. It won't get in trouble. Quite right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the policemen will be after yeah. you. But it used to have... Not after me, after them. Malmesbury used to have something like 65 pubs. It was packed. No way, pubs. 65 in Malmesbury. You know, you know the little um, the little triangle area where I live, where yeah. you park your your car? Yeah. There was five pubs there. No way. Yeah. Was yeah. enough people to go to that? Well, I suppose. Because it was. Was clearly. that the only entertainment in Pretty Marsbridge? much, yeah. yeah. And then it all closed down one after the other, and now we're down to, I think we've got, yeah, we've it, got yeah. two real pubs left. Three, perhaps. That is a shame. Yeah. Kate Broughton. Hi, guys. Thank you for the podcast. Kevin, don't read the next line. Well, he won't because he's not reading it. It's fantastic to listen to, although I was um, slightly shocked when you both struggled to figure out who Monty Don was. Ah, yeah. We did have an issue with Monty, that's, didn't we? That's the fellow who had that bottle of champagne named after him, wasn't it? No, no. Monty was the guy that was in charge of World War Two or something, like that, wasn't he? That's Montgomery. Oh, right. Uh, anyway, I'm new to the Fuji game and brought, bought an XT20 last year as a gateway, not drug. <laughs> In brackets, says Kate, into the Fuji world. I mainly use my camera for street photos, filming and hyperlapsing. On one recent occasion where I'd hyperlapsed an old ruin, it's not a very nice way to talk about your grandmother, in a nearby park using my XF23 F2, I brought the photos into Lightroom and noticed uh, an awful oil painting effect on all the pictures. I did a bit of Googling into the issue and found some post on a forum entitled Is This the Famous Oil Painting Effect? where somebody had the same trouble back in 2015. However, I can't make head nor tail of what the problem is and why it's done this. It's a shame as it's made my photos look like they've all had some terrible Photoshop oil painting with back to filters added to them cheap and nasty. Any help, please, here, Kev, from Kate? Um, I, well, it sounds like it's the worming effect that we've we've kind of come to to hear about over right. the years yeah so lightroom and it's the way lightroom processes those files rather than um it's not to do with food. the camera they probably look it's fine in the camera it's not to do with the camera as such it's mm. to do with the way lightroom um processes them so you can either i mean as a test i would i would open those files up in um download a free trial of capture one or, yeah. or silky pics actually which is the is the best silky pics silky pics Silky Pix is the official raw editor for Fujifilm. Right. Um, terrible interface, but but probably still the best raw editor there is. Okay. Um, anyway, so try, try and open it up in one of the other non-Lightroom uh, applications and see if you have the same problem. Adjust the sharpening. It's usually a case of over-sharpening. But without seeing the pictures, it's hard to tell. It could well be that you didn't have the... Um, when you say hyperlapse, does that mean long exposure or really fast Hyperlapse is lots of well, hyperlapse long, is a l- lots of pictures, and, and and generally you, you can move with the um, yeah. So it might be on a little gimbaly turn yeah. turntable type thing. Yeah, yeah. 
So it won't be in the long exposure. Well, it doesn't have to be, does it? Noise reduction. Um, If it's a long exposure, sometimes people forget to turn on the long exposure noise reduction in the camera, and that can can cause effects. So just double-check that. I think hyperlapsing is like taking very quick photos and moving the um, the body of the camera, isn't it? Time-lapse is when you're doing a a nice scene. Yeah. Typical time-lapse would be... Um, you know, cars in London yeah. at night with all the light trails. Yeah. yeah. Um, and hyperlapsing would be when you move a couple of yes. feet with the camera yeah. each time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, a couple of things like that to try. Mm. There, there isn't, um, uh, as with Canon, they have a, a, a super film um, a movie file that comes out of doing time lapsing. So you, you don't have to take it into. Um, don't have to take it into into Lightroom. No, it, it, it produces a movie for you. Do you think Fujifilm will ever think of doing something like that? It's, it's quite a handy feature. Possibly, I don't know. They, they really have nice a, they have the in, intervalometer in the cameras. Yeah, that's yeah, what. But it's, everything that's does the that now. Technical yeah. term for it, but I don't know. Don't think I never use it, so I, I don't think it will. I thought there was a really cool Canon feature was that being able to turn out if you wanted to do a, a quick hyperlapse for a uh, um, time lapse rather for a film. Having that that movie feature where it turns it out as one Might do. movie file was uh, was really cool. I, I, the Fujifilm cameras don't do that, mm. or if they do, Alan Gump, tell me, and mm. I, I will be eternally grateful to you. But they don't. I'm just looking. I do what I do love in the um, X Pro Three is the new. You can do a tone curve, and you've got clarity and things oh. like that in the JPEGs. Yeah, you've yeah. got a lot more control over your JPEGs now. Wow. Um, but no, are, are no you, I can't find. You, I'm trying to find the hyperlapse, uh, the t- the um, time lapse stuff. Yeah. Um, it'll, be, it'll be within movies if it's going to be. Yeah, no, I've, I've time got the interval timer shooting, so that will be in the stills menu. But I don't know. It is a new thing here called interval interval timer shooting exposure smoothing, mm-hmm. multiple exposure control. Oh, there's multiple multiple exposure control buttons here. How many multiples do you need? Yeah, all that stuff. Pass. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah, open it in a different raw app and see what you get. Last couple of questions, Kev. You go first. Okay, I have one from um, I have one from uh, Kirsty uh, Christy Christy E Jokim or Jochim. <laughs> Here we go again. How do you spell it? J O C H I M. Jokim or Jochim? I think it's Jokim. What do you think, Jochim? <coughs> Jokim. Christy E Jokim. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Kevin and Neil. I've recently been uh, binging on your podcast, so now I've got a few random questions for you. First, like random. First, if you edit a whole scene in black and white, such as inside of the church, what do you do if your client asks for the color version instead? Oh, can of worms. Question one. Yeah. Is this something that you discuss before the wedding? Second, Neil, do you back button focus? I know you do, Kevin, and I was curious if Neil does too. I hear so many people saying that once they switch to Fuji, they stopped using back button focus. Stopped or started. Stopped, she says. Stopped, yeah. I've heard people say that. Stopped using yeah. it. Hmm. Don't understand that. My last question is for Kevin. One, one of the podcasts you somewhat mentioned leaving shortly after the first dance. Do you do this at most weddings? And if so, do you discuss this with your clients beforehand? Thank you so much, guys. And keep up the podcast going. I'm totally hooked. And by the way, your podcast is actually my first ever that I've listened to. Oh, well, welcome along. Welcome, Deli- welcome. Delighted to be your first. All right. So question one then, Neil. Um, uh, if you background. if you supply oh, no. black and white yes. and they ask for colour, yep. what happens? Um, it rarely, rarely happens. Mm. Um, can't remember the last time it did, to be honest. But, I mean, I shoot in raw. So if it's a real issue, I can always supply it, yes. Yeah. But yeah. I always say to people, trust me, um, I'm going to give you the ones in black and white that, that work because of latitude, mm-hmm. light latitude or whatever. Quite right. Yeah, same for me, pretty much. I uh, I give them an option to uh, to purchase yeah. um, all black and white, all colour coverage. Yeah, yeah. So if they don't purchase that, then I, I can always say to them, well, you know, you did have a choice. That package works quite well for you, it does. doesn't it? Having yeah. it in colour and 18. black and white. It's a good marketing decision. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's that. Um, back button focusing. Okay, no, so I don't use it. You no, don't use back no, button focusing. I, don't, I still don't. You've told me so many times to use it, and I still single did, point with with the, uh, the the half depressed shutter. Bang, happy enough. Did you you did you use never to used use... it in Canon either? Okay, fine. So there's so something I'm not used to doing. There's the answer, Christy, to that. Neil doesn't. I do. Would be a boring world if we all did the same thing, mm. for sure. Well, hashtag be like Kev. <sighs> done everything else you've done. My last question is for Kevin. One of the podcasts you somewhat mentioned leaving shortly after the first dance. Do you do this at most weddings? And if so, do you discuss this with your clients' point? Mm. So, yeah, I mean, my coverage generally is prep to first dance. Yeah. I'll, I'll nearly always stay a little little longer for 
especially if the DJ is has not put Diana Ross on. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Diana Ross, yeah. Um, and there's some there's some uh, there's some dancing going on. I'll, I'll usually stay for a little longer. Uh, but that's it. That's generally the package. I do offer them options for increased time, so two, three, four hours after the first dance. If they want that, they can have that, of course. Yeah. But generally, yeah, bridal prep the first dance. Does um, have you noticed of late of offering later packages that people are taking? Yeah, later packages? they are. Why, why do you think that is? I don't know. I really don't know. So I'm something I wished I'd have done years ago. I never used to uh, offer but, the late, late show. Maybe it's because we've only just started offering it, so we're only noticing it. Yeah, I know. That's what I mean. It's something I should have done a long time ago. My 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 next wedding in November, they've they've um, paid for midnight coverage. Have they? Mm. So, and I bet you're now wishing you'd have done it ages ago as well. Yeah. No, I, I mean, in terms of... Uh, I mean, I, I increased my revenue by 18% last year by offering late editions. Yeah. Uh, and by that I mean different things to the clients before a month before the wedding yeah, things yeah. like time upgrades albums yeah, yeah. black and white colour expedited editing uh, fast motion films all of those kind of things yeah. uh, increased my revenue by 18% amazing yeah I think with that, that as I always say to, to couples I'm not necessarily going to say goodbye uh, I never say goodbye yeah uh, I never do and and Unless, it's not because uh, it's not because I don't like them or I've not. And I literally say this: it's not because I don't like you, I haven't had a good time, or I'm, I'm bored, or I want to go home, or anything like that. It's, it's just because the last thing you need is some idiot photographer coming up to you doing this Shakespearean tragedy. I'm going now because you you want to spend time with your friends. Yeah, you don't want some idiot photographer marching across to to do his goodbyes and start hugging you and all that. <laughs> No, I never. I, I never. I don't have the last bit in. Obviously, I, I, I just go. Yeah, absolutely. But that was based on another photographer that I know that that says hug your hug your get uh, hug your hug your clients more. Get to know them. Get in. And I'm saying no. It's just like personal space. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I walk past them on the way out, then of course I'll would speak you, to them. Do you give them a hug? No. You're not really huggy, man. Occasionally, no. I didn't, yeah, quite right. <laughs> occasionally, the bride. Come on, give us a hug. Occasionally, the bride might do a kind of you know a, an, an air kiss cheek yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, in which case, obviously, I'll, I'll throw my hairy beard in her direction. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. All right, moving on. Last, uh, last question, Darren Lingerfeld. Um, hi, guys. Um, love my newest discovery of the FujiCast. Appreciate what you guys do for the community. Oh, Kevin, really? He's, he's a community man. Um, this question may be geared more toward Kev, as I discovered his blog. Kev, you're getting ready shots for weddings. So we've had a few weddings questions this week. It's always the, the luck of the draw. Uh, probably my favourite in your albums. And I'm trying to get better at standing back and just, just observing the big day. Given that you take that approach, I notice that your focal length is on the wider side, yet closer to the subjects, possibly 18 or 23. I've taken a... So you can answer that in a minute. I've, I've taken a great interest in the 18F2 and was wondering if you felt invasive at times with this focal length. Because you do have to get closer with that 18, don't you? Yeah, I don't use the 18 that much. I do use it occasionally, but 23 not much. You do, 23 you? I use a lot, yeah. yeah. So um, for, for, you know, 35mm full focal length. Yeah, no, it's not invasive. It's... Um, full... full um, you got. You definitely have to uh, play everything by ear. Certainly, um, some weddings, uh, certainly at bridal prep, sometimes it's more a case of just sitting. You know, stay on the other side of the the bed and just yeah. shooting across it, and and not you know not getting involved. Sometimes you can get away with a bit more. You got to play everything by ear. It's you never. Uh, we've I think we've said this before. Try never to let the um, the wedding the stuff that's going on at the wedding should happen naturally with uh, and the photography should be there just to take pictures of what happens not affect it what about when you're out on the street what do you use what's your main focal length 23 23 same thing yeah, yeah, yeah. 23 35 equivalent x123 do you do an awful lot of uh, pre visual uh, pre pre focal um length yeah, yeah i i i use a lot of zone focusing yeah, lots of, that's what i meant zone sorry um and since i've been using x pro 3 i've been yeah. i've been using the the flip screen a bit more um yeah. just to try and get used to it really on that street photography thing because i have no, don't really use it for street photography so you've been a real x100f user for for street photography mm. with the, with the with the x pro 3 now i see it standing there saying Use me, use me. Will that be used more often? Probably not. Not no? for street photography. Still going to stick with the X one. X one hundred F, X seventy for me are yeah. are the goodies. Uh, I mean, I will use for it. The form factor. I will use it. Of course, I will use it. Yeah. But it wouldn't be the the thing I would use if I had to say right which one. But that's because I have all those other three cameras. Yeah. Most people don't. Most people only have one camera. In which case, the X Pro three is a great choice. 
going to have to stop producing cameras because you're going to have no more room in your cupboard soon mm, for these. I'm bumping them off. I'm selling the load off. Are you? Yeah. Right. Uh, although it does come with, uh, I'd say, a very healthy... Warning. Warning. I'm not sure, having seen... You know, you need dividers in your bag. Unless unless somebody's attached to one of Kevin's cameras, because it's I see I like bags are all scratched up and look like they've been well used. Yes, X X Pro Three is made of titanium, and apparently the only thing you can damage it with is diamond. Is that right? Yeah, diamond. Well, there we go. I don't think you keep a lot of diamonds in your. Sadly, sadly not. No, sadly. That's it for uh, another week. Thank you very much. Um, We will join you uh, back next week. Next week, of course, is um, the X X Weddings Conference. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Look at him. He's leaning back. Oh God, when will it be over? Um, Loving it. Loving it. (laughs) Like this. Thank you to our guest this week, Paul Rogers, and also big love to our friends at Simpler Straps, S-I-M-P-L-R dot U-S, if you'd like to go and see their amazing range of straps that are just fantastic for, for the sort of form factor that Fujifilm cameras have. Uh, thank you for your questions. If you'd like to send them in, they are the lifeblood of the show. Click at fujicast.co.uk, music from Blue Wednesday, and art list for their additional. And uh, payoffs, right, well, you've, you've got uh, the lovely Steve Brand this week. Kevin's Instagram is Kevin Mullins Photography. His website is kevinmullinsphotography.co.uk. Offer all those street workshops, training, and everything else, Fujifilm, pop over to f16.click. I'm Steve Brand. My Instagram is stevieb photography, and my website, is image to image.co.uk. Uh, the way he goes, and he has your tomatoes, get your tomatoes. Oh, so Tim Binder's doing mine. Neil's Instagram is Neil James. See his films on YouTube at Neil James Photo. His website is neiljames.com for pictures and one to one mentoring. I'm Tim Bender from Indiana. My Instagram is Timothy B. Me. T-I-M-O-T-H-Y-B-M-E and my website is timothybme.com Thank you and we will see you ne- well some of you we, we will literally see some of you next week at the uh, the X weddings Yep can't wait <laughs> can't wait looking forward to it so much Yes <laughs> It's coming Ready The FujiCast is an independent Loading Zone production Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.